Thanks for tuning in, whether it be via download, stream, I don't know if you're already subscribed, NotSam.com, iTunes, however you're getting the show, I appreciate that you're getting the show, and you know, I appreciate all the support, after all, this is a listener-supported show, that's how we get all of our, what's that? Support, and the best way you can support the show is to join the premium experience via Stitcher Premium at stitcher.com slash NotSam, here's what you'll get this show each and every week, but... You'll get it ad-free, and you'll get every other week, every other Monday it drops, the exclusive to the premium subscribers show, Captive Audience. The Captive Audience concept is simple. I sit down with somebody that I normally wouldn't watch wrestling with and try to explain it to them. In real time, you can watch along via the WWE Network. This Monday, we put out a show. I showed my wife... My favorite, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good. We've done New Blood Rising, we did uh, Uncensored 95, we also did Royal Rumble 99, we did WrestleMania 9 this week. Just last Monday, I put out, or I guess this Monday, Monday of this week, I put out a captive audience show. It's me showing In Your House Mind Games to my wife. Probably my favorite In Your House match the Shawn Michaels Mankind main event. We watched the whole pay-per-view. You can watch along on the WWE Network and you can listen as I try to explain to Jess why this is such a special show. Captive audience available exclusively through the premium experience of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast that you can only get via Stitcher Premium at stitcher.com slash notsam. Sign up today and in the meantime, enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh, it's a special one today. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thank you for being a part of the show. Uh, It's going to be a fun one. A lot to cover. I thought... The, the WWE did a great job of handling Bruno San Martino this week. I have not yet seen the Bruno doc that's on the WWE Network that debuted after Raw on Monday, but I'm anxious to see it. I've I've heard really great things about it, and I was kind of blown away. I had to send a tweet out about it because the video package that they put together for Bruno San Martino was amazing. I'm a big nerd for footage. When you find footage that, like, you didn't know existed, that's why I love, one of the reasons why I love the Andre HBO documentary so much is because of all the footage that they had on the guy. I I couldn't believe it. So, to me, what jumped out um, uh, right away was that they had Vince McMahon Sr. talking about Bruno San Martino. And it wasn't like Vince Sr. going like, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the WWWF. And it was Vince McMahon Sr. just talking to a camera about real life Bruno San Martino. And there's just so little footage of Vince Sr. And really, we don't really talk about WWE, what was at the time WWWF, before Vince Jr. took over. The pre-WrestleMania, pre-Rock and Wrestling Bruno San Martino era, all-star wrestling era of WWWF when it was the Northeast Territory, when Bruno really ran wild throughout the uh, territory. It, it doesn't really get brought up. When we talk about history of the promotion that we watch every Monday and Tuesday, it starts pretty much in 1985. 
And the fact is that the promotion was going on much longer than that and that the roots of the promotion are in the territory days. I think that the idea of the WWE as a global brand is so important that we don't like to bring up that this company started as a regional wrestling company. It has become a global entertainment company, but it was launched by the father of the guy who's running it now as a regional wrestling promotion. And Bruno Sammartino was undoubtedly the biggest star of that era. Now, I told you last week that we would talk about Bruno a lot more this week on the show because that's what I intended to do. You know, Bruno passed away last Wednesday, hours before I was set to record the podcast, already had my interviews lined up uh, for last week, which were Adam Cole and Alistair Black. Both are going to pop up on the YouTube channel soon. If you go over to the YouTube channel, by the way, you can find uh, both the Paul Heyman and the Braun Strowman interviews up. An exclusive AJ Styles interview. It's not going to air on the podcast, only airing on the YouTube channel. Uh, and a whole bunch more stuff over there. So go ahead and check it out. And of course, last week's, this week's interview will also be on the YouTube channel. This week, I wanted to do a tribute to Bruno Sammartino. And for as long as I can remember, Bruno has been a legend. He's always been a little bit of a distance away from me. I was born in 1983, you know, became aware of wrestling as a very, very little kid and really remember following storylines right around the age of six or seven. So right around, you know, right after WrestleMania six is when I remember really following storylines actively. You know, I've gone back, of course, like WrestleMania five and the whole Mega Powers Explode era is one of the great stories of all time. But, you know, I'm I'm five years old, four years old, whatever it is when all that's happening. I think the nuance might have been lost on me. But 1990 is when I really started to pick up on the nuance and, and really start to formulate memories of getting sucked in by these stories. But for some reason, whether it was because I was a wrestling magazine kid, you know, I would go out all the time. I'd had WWF magazine, WCW magazine I had, and then I would get Pro Wrestling Illustrated and Inside Wrestling and uh, Main Event. You remember that magazine? I would drive my mom crazy going to the stationery store and just buying magazine after magazine after magazine. And that's how I became aware a lot of the guys who weren't uh, mainstream, you know, while the territory days were still floating around. I'm sure my first glimpses of ECW came via those magazines, but I would imagine a lot of my education of Bruno Sammartino was formed via those magazines because that was a time when I started that Bruno wasn't really acknowledged by WWE and that was because after he was their biggest star, he didn't like what the promotion was becoming. He was done wrestling for sure and he really didn't want to be any part of it, whether it was the rock and wrestling era or the attitude era or whatever. He didn't didn't want to be any part of it so the WWE... As much as he kind of ran down WWE every chance that he got, and there's plenty of footage of that on TV talk shows and stuff in the late 80s and early 90s, the WWE kind of disowned him a little bit. Didn't really talk about Bruno San Martino. But big wrestling fans were aware, even if they were as young as me, at this guy. He was one of the legends. There was Bruno, there was Ric Flair, and there was Dusty Rhodes. And, you know, later on, you can start talking about the Freebirds, you can start talking about the Von Erichs, but in terms of regional stars that became household names, those are the wrestlers, you know? If you talk to uh, an older fan, 
about who you grew up with and it's before the Hogan era, those are the names that are going to get mentioned. And probably, well, I don't want to say Rick. I was going to say probably Ric Flair and Bruno before Dusty, but I don't think I want to rank. Those are the top three of the pre-Hogan era for sure. And obviously Rick and Dusty continued on through the Hogan era. But um, Bruno was just a special case in the sense that he just he just locked on. There was something about him that the people locked on to and they didn't let go. And But he wouldn't go. He wouldn't do anything he wasn't comfortable with. He wanted it to be on his terms or no terms at all. And, you know, it really is a blessing that the WWE has taken the attitude it's taken with former talent, that they're not so up in arms about the past. Triple H reaching out to Bruno San Martino was one of the best things that could have happened several years ago because now we put a bow on that legacy. But I say all this to say that I'm not the one to give you an expert breakdown of Bruno San Martino. I've watched the matches. I've read the articles. I've traded the tapes. I've done everything that you can do. But I didn't live through it. I didn't, I didn't live through Bruno mania. So I found somebody that did. Um, Brian Koppelman is the co-creator. He and his partner created the television show Billions that my buddy Dan Soder is on. Uh, he's also a giant fan of wrestling. He grew up with this stuff. It was his, one of his passions growing up. And I knew that because when I met him, I met Brian uh, a couple months ago only at the premiere of HBO's Andre the Giant doc. And I kind of was like, yeah, are you, I, I figured he might be friends with Bill Simmons, but he anyway, and he is, but he instantly went in and this was before Bruno, you know, had passed or anything like that. He instantly went into what a fan he was and started telling Bruno San Martino stories of growing up and watching Bruno and what a fan. And immediately from that moment, I was like, I got to have you on the wrestling podcast. And then he and his partner came into the show that Jim Norton and I do on Sirius XM to promote Billions. And there's this moment where we're talking and wrestling kind of comes up. And Norton sarcastically says, Sam doesn't really like The Undertaker, knowing that, like, I worship The Undertaker. And, I, and, and Brian Koppelman looks at me and I go, that's, that's not true. I'm a, I'm a major Undertaker fan. And Koppelman goes, so you're not one of the people who think he's the underseller? And I went, whoa, this Koppelman is a fan. And so when Bruno passed away, I heard from Brian and he and uh, um, the masked man over at the ringer uh, did an amazing, uh, well, I, you know, it was just a cool thing. It's a, it's a correspondence uh, of emails that the two of them went through and, and, uh, and they published them over and I saw it and I saw the stories and, and he offered, he said, if you want to, I know you, cause I asked him to do the wrestling podcast before. And he said, if, if now is a good time, you know, I'd love to come on and talk Bruno. And I said, I'd love to have you come on here and talk about Bruno San Martino. So he made the trip out to the not Sam studio, Brian Koppelman, Hollywood, big wig, power player sat down. And we did what you can expect that the last professional broadcaster would do when I have a Hollywood power player in my home. We talked about wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, here to talk about Bruno San Martino and his memories growing up with wrestling, Brian Koppelman. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. With me, Sam Roberts, the last professional broadcaster, at this time is the creator of the hit show Billions, as well as a screenwriter on a ton of projects and, and a director and all kinds of stuff. 
But most importantly, like I think a bigger wrestling fan than anybody actually realizes. A big wrestling fan. Brian Koppelman. Thank you, Brian Koppelman. Yes, co-creator of Billions. Um, and uh, I run the show with David Levine, my lifelong best friend and creative partner. So if I say I when talking about this stuff, it's always Dave and me. Right, that's what it, that's what it means. But you're, you guys are the reason why it's not a coincidence why Dan Soder gets gifted a poster from King of the Ring or there's a reference to uh, uh, bear hugs in the premiere of season four or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, um, the wrestling stuff's been in the show from the beginning. There have always been some references. Um, and, and in fact, we have named characters after professional wrestlers in some sneaky ways for like our whole career. Really? Yeah, and there have been little references and stuff to the wrestlers who meant the most to us. And to me, I'm the bigger wrestling fan than Dave, but one of the things about being lifelong best friends is when we were writing together, sometimes he'll throw a wrestling reference into the show just to make me laugh. <laughs> and because we've been pals since we were 14, like he probably can't tell you the difference between Tony Gurria and Tony Atlas, but he's had to hear those names right. for his whole life. <laughs> so he knows that they exist. Did you know that Married with Children did that too? What did they do? That the, the Bundy family is named after King Kong Bundy. That's great. And no. the Rhodes family that, li that live next door to him is they Dusty Rhodes. The American Dream. The American Dream. Oh, is that what you're telling yes, me? Yes, yes. The, the, the creators of that show were also big wrestling fans, and the, those families oh, were legit named I, after. I am literally wearing a Dusty Rhodes shirt right now. <laughs> and that wasn't because, was that because of this, or was no, that just I, because I mean, that's I what you wear? I grabbed the shirt, and then I was like, oh, that's funny. Right. I'm going to wear it. Right. But I mean, but, I mean I, I'm so... My wife is the greatest human being in the world, and we've been married for, I'm like one of the few truly happily married people you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. And literally, though, uh, just recently, she was like, I got to throw out these few wrestling shirts. And I said, um, no, she's just not, we're not throwing them out. She's like, but they're, I mean, that Dusty Road shirt looks bad on you. And I was like, that's the American dream, sweetheart. What? Sweetheart, <laughs> that is, that's Dusty Rhodes. I mean, I'm yeah. not. You start telling her about hard times? Yeah. I'll tell you hard oh, times. I showed it to her. I mean, I showed her the great two and a half minutes. Right, right. I showed it to Did her. Did it resonate with her? Yes. Because sometimes. Got, no, no. She's a lifelong Springsteen fanatic. So that so she gets completely it. resonates right. with her. Yeah, because yes. sometimes I'll show like wrestling stuff to my wife and be like, this is like a life changer for me. And she's like, oh, yeah. And you're just like, I. No, you have no. If you can watch. Dusty Rhodes hard time speech. Yeah. And not be moved by it. Have you seen Sir, I do not want to be your friend. No. Have you seen the YouTube video that somebody did the Dusty Rhodes speech but uh doing a Morgan Freeman impression? Nope. And you, it's at like the a, end of it's like you, a voiceover I'll show it to, it to you. Me or yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's really no. great. But the reason uh that uh I had you on specifically this week is because I met you not too long ago at the uh, press screening for the Andre the Giant yeah. documentary, which was amazing. Yeah, it was great because you've been friends with my sister for a long time. Jenny Hutt, yeah. who does a show over on Sirius XM. But it was one of the, you know, I was asking you, oh, are you like a wrestling fan? Or are you just friends with Bill Simmons? Oh, the Andre or, the Giant right, thing. Right, yeah. at the Andre thing. And you were like, no, I'm an old school wrestling fan. And immediately you got into Bruno San Martino. And we were talking about Bruno and, and, and how he was the guy for you and all this stuff. And so go forward, you know, a few months. And this must have, this one must have hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Um, it's funny. The, there are certain figures from your childhood or certain moments uh, from your childhood that just, they go so deep for you. They resonate in such a heavy way. And Bruno San Martino meant something to me as a kid growing up on Long Island. I mean, I had other sports heroes and I had movie heroes. But there was something about the 
unadorned nature of who Bruno San Martino was. Um, I grew up in the 70s. So I was 10 in 76. In 78, when he lost to superstar Billy Graham, it was 78, right? When he I lost believe to so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Graham, who uh, used leverage of the third of the rope when he pinned Bruno. And there's still been no justice for that. Not, not at You're all. You're waiting for him. His... <laughs> I mean, it was so clear. You could see in Wrestler Magazine, in the Wrestler Magazine, the right. shot is super clear that when he hasn't pinned, his foot is on the rope. And you get in this magazine, like, look, it's right, it's it's right, right there. there in the magazine. Why I mean, can't these people see it's it? It's right there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the ref was, that day, the ref had a bad day. I mean, he just missed it. Yeah, I don't know how. Well, you would think after the magazine was published, they would do something. Maybe the referee could think about. I guess referee's decision's final. Yeah, that just confirmed that Bruno wanted that you know Bruno wanted to be done and everything. Because I mean, if anything, if any if any uh, organization would have ever used it, it would have been the WWWF. But so when I first saw San Martino, I was probably nine or ten, and I was watching you know WOR Channel Nine after the harness racing. And I saw these larger-than-life characters, Ernie Ladd and Stan Hansen and, you know, Bruiser Brody and Mil Mascaris and Chief J. Strongbow and the Executioners. But then in the middle, you know, all these people had a gimmick. Right. And I know, you know, wrestlers now talk about their gimmick as the item that they sell <laughs> sure. or whatever, right? Like, hey, yeah. man, you got my gimmick on. No, we're it's selling like gimmicks. You're, yeah, 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 you're yeah. selling your gimmicks. But everybody had, like, a thing mm-hmm. that, that they did. Um, something's you know Ernie Ladd was an ex-pro football player right and he was six foot six and was like one of the only at the time uh, if you were a person of color you were and you weren't doing um if you were a person of color and you weren't playing some other group right you were not a headliner right you you were a like, job like a mostly. Samoan or like yeah, whatever it is like, like, like you weren't like putting you were, on yeah. some gimmick for yourself something mm-hmm. um so Ernie Ladd was a headliner African-American six foot six the they big say cat. six nine. He was yeah. the big cat. Hit the foreign object on his um, thumb, and he also wore a crown into the ring. Of course, right? And Stan. So he Hansen, looked even taller, right? Yeah. So he was, yeah, he was coming in there seven feet. Yeah. And, you know, Stan Hansen had the lariat, and he was a Texas shit kicker. Yeah. And then you had Bruno, who had no shtick. Right. All that guy had was like, I'll tell you, Vince, I'm standing here, <laughs> and I'm gonna beat this man. You know, I'm not the tough, smartest guy in the world, but I'm pretty tough. And there was something. In a, you know, as a 9, 10, 11-year-old, you're starting to figure out the world's complicated or more complicated than you thought it was right. or that was promised to you. Like you start, and, to, you start to figure out that injustice is a thing. Yeah, there's injustice in yes, the world. Yes. But not only injustice, there's like, um, there's gray area. Mm-hmm. There's like a lot that's neither right nor wrong. Right, okay. And then in the middle of it was this guy who was like, yeah, yeah, but I'm going to go into that world yeah. of doubt and insecurity and bad decisions, and I'm going to fight for the simple truths of it. And I know this all sounds like complicated or like grandiose language, but that is what professional wrestling is. It's these very primal ideas put on a stage right. in an elaborate, almost kabuki theater kind of a way. And in the middle of that was this dude who was like, I'm exactly what I say I am. I may be, and you know, by the time I was 11 or 12, I realized... Um, I didn't know the words work and shoot, but I realized the thing was a work. But I didn't care because I knew that that guy had that big a heart. Like, I didn't know the whole story then, you know. I didn't know his family almost all got killed in the Holocaust. And none of this is wrestling lore. None of this is written by right, writers. Right, it's like, real life. This is actual, the, yeah. the actual biographical details 
of Bruno San Martino right. are that he came from Abruzzi, Italy. He he was um, in a state of true physical starvation for over a year. He almost died. He lost, I think, three of his brothers and sisters. I think they were. Were there like seven, seven of them and, and three? To, three? Yeah, three died. Yeah. And he came... And, and that was before they were hiding from the Nazis that they died, right? Well, that, no, the they were hiding. Died. I think they were hiding from the Nazis. Because and, they were... And then... So they were... Yeah, they were hiding from the Nazis. Yeah. He... You know, they somehow got here and he was this made fun of for being... I mean, it's like a superhero origin story, but this stuff's all been fact-checked and, and, and it's true. Mm -hmm. He was um, an incredibly skinny, um, easily made fun of kid who found the gym. And in the gym, he worked and worked, and he did become like the strongest guy in America. And that, that I think was also part of the appeal was that he had this body where he's as big as a house, but there's something attainable about it. Like it's still yes. a human, right? Yeah, because he wasn't, as you know, one of the reasons he left um, organized professional wrestling was he wouldn't take steroids. Right. So he just looked like big, but and, he wasn't like ripped. And in, it's not only that he yeah. wouldn't take them. They made him angry. Right. It's not just that he was like, hey, I don't want to do He was like, uh, he was an old school Italian guy who was like you know get this reefer out of here <laughs> right i mean he just yes. didn't want any of that crap. Yes. it's just like not he's like don corleone or something right. stop with that foolishness with that young girl right like he didn't want any of that stuff right. he so he had a code that he lived by and that's what he, he it wasn't just him living by it that's what he wanted around him yes right he insisted upon it yeah right. so you had this guy who was just like i'm gonna become the strongest and then he fucking became the strongest right and you know got um won all these powerlifting competitions and then someone saw him and said you should be a wrestler mm -hmm. he was like I don't know about this wrestling thing but I'll try you know <laughs> and then suddenly became uh, back to uh, I'm yeah. not the smartest yeah, man but I think guy, I can uh... and then you know he he has this incredible rise when when I first came up upon him as an eight or nine year old whatever I was probably eight um, he was already Bruno San Martino he'd already been the champion for a long time and he had just won the belt back but I could sense without even knowing you could look in that guy's eyes and you knew he'd gotten himself here through like grit, yeah. determination and sort of um, an, an immovability. Like he just put his feet in the ground and he said, uh, I'm going to become this thing. And the great story. And he tells us, um, I know I'm on your great wrestling podcast, but I, I think the single best hour and a half of a, po uh, a wrestling podcast I've ever heard, and it's one of the best. I'm a podcaster, too. I have a podcast called The Moment, and we don't really talk wrestling that much, but uh, it's a good podcast. But uh, <laughs> I, Colt Cabana interviewed Bruno uh, for an hour and a half. Yeah. And by the way, you can plug Colt Cabana on this podcast or you're blue in the face. But that, in, in that episode of the podcast, Bruno, for the first time ever himself, told the incredible story of how he became the champ. Yeah. and Which is a rare thing because Bruno... He doesn't do he never that. Broke so Bruno never broke kayfabe, and he right. still found a way to keep kayfabe in the story. It's brilliant. But, which was brilliant, yeah. I think. But yes, that's another thing about San Martino that you know, but I don't know if your audience understands that. How much does your audience understand about the kayfabe era? of? Like, how much do you talk well, about the kayfabe era? You know, when, and Carney speak and sort of why that... I think that I would say the majority of the audience, because we don't get super in-depth. This isn't like an educational. This is more just like we hang out with some yeah, wrestlers right, and sure. fans, and then we talk about the current day product. I think that people know that it came from Carney days and kind of know what the words mean because they're all over the internet. But I, I would imagine that more people than I think 
don't really know the, 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 how carny this thing was. Well, yeah, so the, the carnival, the, the language comes from carny, and even when we say that, like, we're all, none of us, look, I'm 51, and I even wasn't really alive when carnivals worked the way carnivals worked at the beginning yeah. in the 1900s. I mean, it's going back, like, from. It's like, con artists. It's, you should go watch the movie House of Games, which gives you some of the language. It's a uh -huh. great movie about modern-day con artists, but... You know, if you would go to a carnival, you would go to a town, all the games in carnivals are rigged. Do people know that? Like, I would hope so. All carnival games are rigged. Even and, to this day, most are. And they would say, I mean, the story that I've always heard is that, like, the term mark for fan comes from, I always thought it was just, like, like it, it, just a, a derogatory term, whatever. But it is, they would, somebody would put chalk on their chalk, hand. They would chalk mark you. And when they would find a guy who was a sucker and would play this game pat him on the back and say better luck next time and then as he walked down the boardwalk everybody saw the mark on his back and that knew guy's a, that guy's a mark he's a sucker a sharp yeah you know, the, and and so the carny language when the wrestlers started going across the country at first they wanted to wrestle but then they realized well we can't beat the shit out of each other every night right and so they came up with this um uh, idea that they were going to protect each other in the ring mm -hmm. so that they could thrive and have this life. And they borrowed the language of Carney because they were wrestling in carnivals too. I mean, mm -hmm. it, they were all intermingled in that culture. But what wrestlers believed for a very long time was that people would stop watching. They, that it was with a wink. Everyone knew that wrestling was fixed. Yeah. Even in the 60s and 50s and 40s. But that if you really told them, they would stop watching and they would think less of you and they wouldn't be able to believe the story. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about that moment that you had where, where when you just said, you know, I was 11 or 12 and I saw Bruno lose the title and by then I kind of knew but didn't care. That is something that I think is lost on people that aren't fans, but even, I think, old school workers that didn't realize that fans don't care. Like, when I went to my first show, my parents told me I was eight, it was 1992, it was SummerSlam in England, and... The seats were pretty close because my dad was working in an advertising agency and at the last minute he had scored some like, you know, whatever, 15th row, 12th row tickets or something. And they were worried because I was eight and wrestling was my whole life. And they were like, he's going to get smartened up. He's going to see what's going on here and he's not going to like this stuff anymore. And like I left that place, number one, nothing, no news because I had never thought about whether it was or wasn't. And I was just sort of over the moon at seeing it up close and personal because I don't think fans of this thing because we for the beginning of time since we're tiny little kids even if we think it's real we get the entertainment aspect of it and that never changes right well, also plus these guys are so good at what they do right that in the moment they convince you it's happening right look i spent my life making movies and television shows right they're not real right right i mean right. dude the dude on billions his voice doesn't even sound like that <laughs> in real life he's a brit right i mean it's it's crazy and by the way we're able to you know on the same network a couple years before that he was a politician that might have been a terrorist like we can accept that yes on shows like that and i think that most fans of wrestling realize that yeah we're i mean we're getting the same thing except also i mean it's a you know especially in the 70s where I, when I grew up I mean I saw the president of the United States resign from office right what wasn't rigged right in the 70s you start to realize, when I was growing up well that's why I think wrestling fans know that it's all a lie right like the smartest wrestling fans don't care because everything's a lie it's all the work yeah. whether, you're, whether you're watching the news or whether you're watching the NFL or whether you're watching Billions or whether you're watching WWE it's all a work yeah there are moments of real human behavior and sure. real human reaction sure. that happen but I mean all you need to do really and again I'm sure this was something that wrestling fans most wrestling fans probably, probably watch, but um, the the movie what is it above the ropes or beyond the ropes? 
Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat. I mean, you watch Beyond the Mat. Amazing. And that's all you need to know about how real it, it is. But right. But what, what I was going to say is that um, Bruno had something else going on with the kayfabe thing. And and then I'll tell the, the story of, of how he became champion. But Bruno um, wouldn't break kayfabe because he knew that there were all these Italian immigrants and their kids who believed in his entire thing. Right. The story the of story Bruno. The story of Bruno San Martino. The one guy fighting for good and for integrity and for right. Mm -hmm. The one guy who was never a heel. Mm -hmm. One guy who never, ever uh, went back on his word. Bruno's word was his bond, right? Mm -hmm. And so he could not uh, disappoint those people. Right, because in his mind, people find out it's a work and it's all a lie, right? Everything. So what did he stand for? Then? Right, right. If you knew who was going to win... That's right. What were you fighting against? And and the ironic thing is, the whole story is still true. Like he still had to fight his way. Every, you know, you hear about when he got blackballed from. Well, this is what I'm going to say. Yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. Go ahead. Then. The, well, no, this is the thing. Like, yeah. so the way Bruno Sammartino became champ is so he, he he's a he's the first a, time and he died. This is how he beat when he beat Buddy Rogers mm -hmm. um, in 1958, right. 59 um, in 53 seconds, I think. Mm -hmm. What happened was, but before that. He comes to New York because uh, this guy finds him and says, you should go be a wrestler. He starts wrestling, and he has a great gimmick. He lifts up. Uh, Vince McMahon Sr. realized this was the strongest guy in wrestling, and he has him lift up Haystacks Calhoun at Madison Square Garden, and the newspapers pick up on it, and it becomes a big story. And, you know, even if Haystacks... I mean, Haystacks wasn't really 600 pounds. What? <laughs> but, but he did... You know, and even if Haystacks, like, helped him, he still had to hold Haystacks in the air. Right. And which, by the way, Haystacks wasn't 600 pounds, but he was pretty heavy. He you was know? 400 pounds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was. Exactly. And um, Bruno lifted him up, and it was an incredible thing, and it got huge news coverage. And Buddy Rogers was a champ, and Buddy Rogers was insanely popular and could sell out the building. Mm -hmm. And Buddy Rogers started noticing that when Bruno would show up, he would get a bigger reaction from the crowd. He would get a bigger pop. Uh, the guys Bruno was fighting against would get bigger, more heat. And Buddy Rogers didn't like that. And he told Vince that he didn't want the guy fighting right before him on the cards. And Bruno couldn't live with that because Bruno had left his wife. He married young. He cared about his wife. Mm -hmm. If he's going to be on the road, it was so that he could earn a real living. And he knew the way to earn a real living was to be at the top of the card. Right. And so Buddy wanted him to either like be the opening match or not be on the show. Or not be on the show. Gotcha. And Vince Sr. went along. Buddy was his champ. Of course. And they had had a long history together. Right. Hey, was it true? I've asked a lot. Just stop for a second. Is it true that in the up until sort of like the 70s, until Hulk, I guess, they would only give the belt to someone who could like actually fight as a shoot in case someone wanted to take it. I've I've always heard that that, that was and Do you that's, think that's true. I believe so, and that's why there's all these stories about you know Hogan was the first of the era that was like the entertainer, and the Iron Sheiks got the stories about them trying to pay him, the people in the AWA trying to pay him to legit break Hogan's leg to prove that this guy. And I think that that's true. I think it goes along with all the all the folklore you hear about the territory days yeah, of oh, guys I'm, I'm fascinated by territory. Guys days. getting fired if they didn't win fights in bars. If somebody right, if somebody pushes you, yeah. I believe it. 
Because yeah. because it goes back to what we were saying before. Because carny mentality was still kayfabe was still real. Like you had to push these guys as tough guys. And when you talk to them, when you see footage of them, yeah, like, like Harley Race was genuinely a tough guy. Exactly. Exactly. Terry Funk was genuinely a tough guy. And the fans are afraid of him. You know right. what I mean? Like, and it's still a little that way in Japan. When a big guy goes into the audience in Japan, there's not a swarm of people like hitting him on the shoulder right. and stuff like that. If a heel goes into the crowd and starts swinging his arms, the Japan fans are running, running. Awesome! I didn't know that. Yeah. No, because you know, I went, I took some, I uh, took like my nephew and his friend to see Roman Reigns, and like, yeah, that guy's just so. Fr I mean, everyone there is right. now just so friendly. And, well, yeah, and, and it gets to the point where you're like, uh, I've watched shows. For better or worse, when a heel will say something to a kid or rip a sign or do something like that, and the kid will start crying. And, like, I've watched it. It's main event, like, tag matches, right? And while the heel's partner is in the ring, the heel will come off the apron when he hopes the crowd isn't really looking and go over to the kid and, like, say, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry or whatever. And the kid will end up getting to go backstage and meet, like, the guys. Like, there's there's just... And I think, you know, part it of it... Not, I mean, Ernie Lyon no. was not doing that. No. He just wasn't. But it's also Ernie the Lyon culture. in character, It's man. also the culture we live in. I think, like, a publicly traded company or any big company needs to worry about, you know, and the WWE some mom I'll tweeting. Say, like, it was an incredible night. Like, I watched these kids at the time of their lives. Right. So I've never seen an organization care more about making the fans happy yes. than the WWE does, yes. and I think it's amazing. Actually. Although there's still guys like, uh, I've interviewed Chris Jericho before, and Chris will say that uh, he won't, if he's a heel, when he did his last heel run when he was wearing the suit, and the, he won't sign autographs. So like a kid will come up to him and go like, oh, can I have your autograph? And he'll just like kind of look at him like disdainfully. And just walk right past him, and his dad oh, he's is selling sitting there. it. Right, he's selling it because he knows. Because he's like, I'm on my way into that building. I need to, get and I want to that kid booing to boo me. And he goes, you know, they wanted to sell T-shirts. No Jericho T-shirts if Jericho's a heel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because I don't want people cheering for me in that building. Oh, that's all, which that's becomes great. a more and more difficult thing to do as fans get that's smarter. Super intense. But, yeah. So Bruno's, so Bruno's on this card. I mean, Bruno's wrestling on these cards, and he's told. Buddy Rogers doesn't want you near this thing. Right. So he leaves and he and he goes, they tell him, he says, all right, I'll go wrestle in another territory. And Vince Sr. is like, well, let's see how that works out for you. And he takes all his money, Bruno, and he doesn't really have very much. Mm -hmm. And this is another documented story. And he like um, tries to rent a car and he ends up hitchhiking and he gets to California where he's been promised that he's going to be able to wrestle in that territory because these there was no monolithic WWW for WWE right. or there were these territories there was no big organization but there was a code among the guys who ran the territories right and it was a way to prevent these wrestlers from doing what they want the wrestlers didn't really have independence the territory owners had independence mm -hmm. but there were, if a wrestler made a deal that he was in your territory even if he didn't have a written contract he, they, it was like the mob right. you couldn't leave you, and so when Bruno got out west to wrestle and he spent his last dollar to get there, he was blackballed. And what that means is Vince Sr. had called the guy who ran that territory and said, as a personal favor to me, don't wrestle San Martino. And, and who the, was the biggest star in the West Coast at this time? Probably Freddie Blassie that was like uh, around yeah, then? Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, Freddie Blassie was a little older than Bruno, yeah, yeah, but yeah. yes, he would have been big in yeah. uh, West. And, um, and probably Mil Mascaros coming up from... Probably, yeah, from Mexico. From Mexico, yeah, yeah. right? And so... Uh, he gets sent back from the West Coast because the deal was right. If 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 
the guy who ran the West Coast would have let Bruno wrestle, then Vince Sr. would have felt free to steal any of his guys and wrestle them in his territory. Right, you got to have cooperation. So they had to make these deals with each other. Yeah. But the result of it was San Martino's out there on the West Coast and blackballed. And then he hears about a guy like in Cincinnati and he goes to Cincinnati and that guy blackballs him. And he's shut out of the entire United States. So he's spending all his money driving around because it's not like you've got cell phones and emails and like no, direct message. And, no, you know, not like, yeah. So he's just got to drive to the town, takes days, days to get there. No money. He can't call no his money. wife from a payphone. Right. Then he can't call his wife again for, you know, right. three days. And he gets there. Last his wife heard, it's like, okay, I'm going to California to wrestle. A week later, he's like, no, 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 I'm not blackballing California. In fact, I'm in Cincinnati I'm and I can't wrestle. <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. So he goes up to Montreal. Somehow he finds out there's... Oh, I forget the wrestler. And it's... it's um, maybe it's Antonino Rocca or Gorilla Monsoon. It's, it's a guy you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Basically said to Bruno, I'll make a call for you to this guy in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And Bruno meets this guy in Montreal and the guy says, all right, I'll... You can wrestle for me. I don't like this idea mm-hmm. of these people blackballing you. But if I do this, you have to wrestle for me. I'm going to make this happen for you. You have to show up twice a week. You have to wrestle for me twice a week, no matter what in the building so three times a week or whatever the thing was yeah and Bruno's like if you do this for me I'm committed to you I'll do it because that was Bruno that was Bruno San Martino and he does it and what Bruno knew and what Buddy Rogers was afraid of turned out to be true which was the moment he stepped into a ring it doesn't matter if it's a Canadian crowd or a Japanese crowd or a European crowd or a New York crowd Everybody loves him. He's getting over. He had the magic. Yeah. He just had the magic. It wasn't a particular set of writers. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a particular storyline. It was what that guy brought into the ring. So with him. he knows this isn't this isn't a New York thing because he was the New York guy. This isn't a New York thing. No. Yeah. He was from Pittsburgh, but then right, 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 right. This isn't an East Coast but thing. It's not. Yeah. He went into the ring in Montreal and immediately started selling out the buildings, right. the arenas, killing it. And Vince Senior got word of this happening, and tried to entice Bruno to come back and Bruno said only if you make me the champ and he said well buddy won't do it and he said well I don't care you gotta I gotta know I'm gonna be the champ because like you said he's going to make a living yeah and if he's got the ability to headline he should be headlining. I have to headline they want to see me I'll sell the building yeah make me champ yeah Vince says I can't Bruno says well I'm not coming and besides you blackballed me I'll take the blackball off you can all right but listen I'm not coming right champ so finally Bruno's so big and Vince senior's feeling in a sense of embarrassment Mm -hmm. I had this guy Mm mm-hmm and the guy's destroying it in Canada and he's going from Montreal and he's driving to Pittsburgh like every two weeks to see his wife and then driving back to Montreal and finally his <laughs> wife's still in Pittsburgh yeah still never left. Pittsburgh never left. that's amazing and, and it says uh, finally you know Vince Sr. says okay and this is where it's great because Bruno keeps faith, kayfabe mm-hmm. okay uh, you're going to be the champ but I can't get Buddy to go I don't know that Buddy's going to go along with it and the story is Bruno says it is. They set the match, Shea Stadium, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he comes back to wrestle Buddy Rogers and they facing each other. And it's clear to Bruno right away that Buddy doesn't want to do it. So Bruno supposedly says to him, it can go hard or it can go easy. And Buddy sort of says, take your best shot. And in 53 seconds. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Bruno won? I have uh, to believe shoot? it. I am loving this conversation with Brian Koppelman, geeking out about wrestling. But speaking of geeking, I need to give you guys a little bit of advice. I know you like to geek out for live shows. I like to geek out for live shows too, but buying tickets to sports and concerts, it gets complicated. It gets confusing. But there's a better way for us geeks to get seats. Seat geek. Obviously, the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. It could be a last, some last-minute deal. 
could be a planning a night out, perfect gift, whatever you need. SeatGeek is going to help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Trust me when I tell you, you got to see this stuff live. If you're going to a wrestling show, it's the only way that I can recommend getting tickets because you're going to know exactly where you sit. You're going to know that it's the best value that you can possibly get. Do like me. I got the SeatGeek app on my phone. Download it on your phone and check it out for yourself. It shows you the seating map, uh, what seats are available throughout all ticket service sites. So you know you're getting the best deal because they'll tell you. There's a, there's a, they're, they're color-coded. So you know which seats are best value. You know which seats are going to be close up. You know which seats are far away. You know what's, I mean, for the, for, for the love of God, you basically know where the bathroom is when you're looking at this thing. Whether you're going to see a concert, a wrestling show, a sporting event, baseball, football, whatever. It could be comedy. It could be Broadway. Whatever you need to do, SeatGeek is going to make it happen. It's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It gives you the most bang for your buck. They grade every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed. No more showing up to those live events with the... Sorry, go home. You're embarrassed in front of the girl you were trying to uh, pick up because your tickets are counterfeit. It will never happen with SeatGeek. Best of all, not only will you get the best deal, you'll get a $20 better deal because my listeners, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast listeners, get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's right, 20 bucks off your first purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code SAM today. That's S-A-M, SAM. That's promo code SAM. You'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the app. Do it. Do it now. And let's get back to uh, geeking out in our seats with Brian Koppelman. Well, here's the thing, right? What Bruno did was, by dint of his own will, and he tells the story much better than I'm telling it, but imagine just being, just for a second, put yourself in the car. You know, he could have earned an okay living just staying there and waiting it out. Mm-hmm. In three years of just being in New York, eventually he would have right. gotten that. That's the way wrestling works, right? Yep. And it kind of becomes undeniable but anyway. But this guy had his, his will. Yeah. And, and more than that, his deep sense of personal knowledge of who he was, of his own value, told him like, no, no, no. I'm going to force this fucking guy yeah. to make me champion. And on some level, it's like, I don't want to wrestle on the show that that guy is holding me back. Yeah. I know what's going I'm on not gonna, here. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Right. And so to me, it's there's very little difference. Right. There's no doubt, by the way, that Bruno could have kicked the shit out of Buddy Rogers nine <laughs> times his size. Right. Buddy Rogers is a big guy, but like, and Bruno also, was 20 years younger than him and outweighed him by... And the fact that the match was under a minute long kind of leads to the shoot theory I do believe you know if, if we go if we go by buddy rogers being a guy that was so prideful he didn't want bruno going on before him what's changed that buddy is willing to do a job in under a minute right yeah no i can't understand it so i believe that it was uh i believe that buddy rogers in the ring like whether bruno really hurt the guy i do believe that when they were there buddy rogers knew yeah yeah he but, wasn't walking out of the ring as the champ and buddy could have been like well screw this yeah. I'll just take the dive right yeah, now. Let's if you're going to beat me, just beat but, me. I'll but, go home. But it doesn't matter because it was a shoot because Bruno demanded it. I mean, you never hear that story. So the where... story is a shoot in the yes. sense that, like, Buddy didn't want to give him the didn't want to give him the title. He didn't. And, and Vince Sr. really didn't want to give right. him the title. He forced it. Yes. So to yes. me, the so story that's the itself shoot. is a shoot. The guy was like, I'm going to... Because, like, if, you know, you read Foley's book is one of my... Mick Foley's first book is, like, one it's of incredible. the great memoirs of, like, our time. Yeah. And maybe the best book about wrestling ever because it's the book I give to, or I, I, I would give it to girlfriends. I gave it to my wife uh, 
people who don't understand. Did that make it that much longer before they would like hook up with you? <laughs> <laughs> you give them a wrestling book. It's like you just added two weeks on yeah, the whole yeah. thing, basically. <laughs> but, but that's that's yeah. the like I need you to understand this world. Yes, and this is the book. Because so, what is amazing to me about that book, yeah, is it 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 is the one document that shows you, like exactly what it costs these guys emotionally, exactly how much it means to them to know that the business has recognized and rewarded them mm -hmm. as the champion because every guy in wrestling, and that's why the whole thing, you can say, it, there it is a shoot because it's really hard to become Tom Cruise in the world. Right. It's really hard to become George Clooney. It's right. really hard to become Julia Roberts. Like, if you can find a way... And those people, by the way, all really did it regardless of if their movies are scripted. Like, they, they all really they did They had it. to, like, leave their house right. in Oklahoma. Yeah. And, you know, or Tom Cruise in Jersey or George where, you know, and you have to, to leave their home, Indiana, I guess, with George. They have to, like, leave their home mm -hmm. and, like, get in a car and go to Hollywood and be like, well, I think I'm special. Prove to these casting directors, then prove to the writers, yeah, and prove to the, the directors, directors and the producers and, and the money the guys. the audience and, had to come. Yep. And then someone had to say, all right, I'm going to give this guy a shot right. at, at being Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible. Like, right. You know, this whole thing has to happen. So Foley's book, where, when Foley got to be champ, and to me that's the other great, the closest to Bruno to me is Foley. Foley. Because he wasn't supposed to be a champion. Right. He was barely supposed right. to be in the WWE. We'll put a mask on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, none of this was supposed to happen for him. Vince doesn't put the guy with the sock no. in, you know, as, a, as the headliner. Right. In the WWE. Right. But also by the force of this guy just being like, I'm not going to stop. Right. It's for me one of the most inspiring show business books mm, ever. That's great. Yeah. If you think about what that book is. Yeah. Um, because Foley, and I, I, I'm sure you know him well. I know Mick a little bit and mm -hmm. I love him. He's yeah. just like the guy in the book. 100%. 100%. He's exactly who he presents himself yes, as. Yes, absolutely. What do you think it was about Bruno that made it so you didn't have that kind of typical... I'm a kid rebellion. Like Bruno was a good guy and he made it so everybody was cheering for him. And even even in the 70s and 80s, I mean, I know Hulk Hogan had that thing, but Hulk Hogan was loved by small children. Bruno was loved by small children, but also and men. men. No, like, men. you know, teenagers like you, but also full adults like your dad would have loved him. What was it about Bruno that made it so that you actually well, liked I this squeaky clean guy? You got to look at the era. That wasn't really an era where wrestling had figured out that the anti-hero would be cheered for also. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when the first time I saw that, so that the bad guys were super important, but because of where the culture was, then like a genuinely good guy got, people did root for them more. There weren't a lot of people cheering when Stan Hansen, you know, broke Bruno's neck. Um The, your question's really smart, but I I, I I believe in the WWWF. So Terry Funk was cheered for and Ric Flair was cheered for. But somehow in the East Coast, right. the bad guys weren't really... So those guys were in the middle of the country in the West, right? They, they were cheered for, but somehow in the WWWF, the way it was structured... The bad guys, like um, the executioners, or like I said, you know, Ernie Ladd, there would be a small group of people cheering for them. Well, that's but also, it was the coverage was dominated by magazines, right? Right. And the way the magazines would even talk about it, um, you mostly rooted for the good guys. It changed when Backlund came, 
two years. So when Backlund came in, in the beginning, young kids, 11, yeah. I rooted for Backlund. 14-year-olds mm-hmm. hated him. Right. And that's when it started to kind of switch. Uh-huh. So the difference between Bruno and Bob Backlund is Bob Backlund seemed like he never had to fight for anything. He was a squeaky clean college wrestler right. from Florida, mm-hmm. right? Uh, was that where he's from? Or he wrestled in Florida. Right. I think he, well, he came up from Florida. At the, that's what they sold him as at the time. Sure. He looked like, uh, you know, he wrestled in high school. He was probably beat people up in high school. Mm-hmm. Then he kind of presented himself as this squeaky clean dude. He was a goody two-shoes. Right. But you he know, was a jock. He was a jock. Bruno, didn't... you felt like it was a steel worker or something. Right. You felt like with Bruno, like he really came up from nothing. Like mm-hmm. he really... Uh, was trying to do it right but, but then you also felt if he had to brawl he would brawl right and it's really interesting because like you know Backlund had similar pro in a sense that like Bruno would, would go like well I'm not the smartest guy but I, I'm pretty tough and I think I'm gonna go in there and Backlund wasn't any more energetic he would well Vince no, he was just aw shucks though yeah I, right Bruno was a man of experience right and, and, and Bob Backlund didn't seem like that but I'll tell you something else mm-hmm. I can answer your question I'm answering it wrong mm-hmm what, what you have to really remember, Sam, is this is all before rock and wrestling. This right. is all before wrestling's mainstream. Right. Wrestling is still, when I'm into it in the 70s, subversive by its nature. Mm-hmm. Just being a wrestling fan was already rebellious. Just being a wrestling fan was part of the freak show. Of course. You're the fr- so the I, fact I, that you're a guy who roots for the good guy wrestler... You're already, I'm already the rebel. A freak, dude. Yes. I'm already yes. a freak. My friends are only watching f- fucking football and right. hockey and tennis. Right. Like, I liked all those things too. But what I loved, right. I mean, I loved basketball. That was my first great love. But the other thing I loved was wrestling. And so I, you would come into my room. And so, okay, you have to understand, I collected from the first time. So I was always a, re- a huge reader. Mm-hmm. That's why I became a writer. Right. So the, the moment I saw the first wrestling thing at like eight, um, there was a magazine store in town and I sort of remembered that I'd seen a magazine. I made my mom take me and there were the three magazines, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, The Wrestler, and Wrestling, right? right. Uh, Inside Wrestling. Inside Wrestling, yeah. Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler, and Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Yeah. Those three magazines. And I remember buying those three magazines and then I started cutting out pictures of these people mm-hmm. and I just covered my whole room in <laughs> pictures of these wrestlers and you know, Abdul the Butcher with his face bleeding or um, Nick Bockwinkle with that hair and so he, you, know, you would come into my room and, and I looked like um, a really strange kid who had this and I had just stacks and stacks in the magazines I subscribed to all of them I'd go to anywhere I heard there was a new wrestling magazine I mean I still could tell you the names of the guys who wrote for those magazines of course I was I mean you probably know Bill After but like I don't uh-huh. I, um, I don't think I could really talk to him <laughs> because those guys made up all the stories right yeah, yeah, yeah. Did they just totally make them up? Oh, oh, that I don't. Oh, oh, did they? They must have made up all this. They didn't really sit and have an interview with. Well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of those guys, like the uh, George, uh, I always get Napolitano. Napoli, yeah. yeah. I was actually sure. just, I yeah. flew to WrestleMania with him. And so I was talking to him in the airport. It's the first time I'd actually had a conversation with him. But, I mean, there were guys that would that would travel place to place. And this idea, I think there were more kayfabe interviews well, happening right. than you think that actual interviews as opposed to like right right in, it always but it, I'm but I'm sure a lot of it was also like okay I get on. when they were talking the about you know Dusty Rose wakes up and gets on his motorcycle well, yeah I mean that's I mean, all this stuff of the course it's all just like them, just, made, like they have to fill because picture being those I always want to make a show about those guys that's the report oh the 70s, the 70s wrestling magazine writers magazine writers like so great picture like their day yeah like what do you do you get how many cigarettes they smoke <laughs> I, just, I had to get out of bed and they're like 
fuck, I gotta, I gotta feel like, and back then magazines were thick because like there were lots of ads. Yeah. There was no television really. Mm-mm. There were, you know, five, sta- three stations and no cable. But it was coverage of, I mean, I'm so glad that I grew up there was still like I grew up in the 80s and 90s so I feel like I was the last generation of magazines you, you got a little of it but I got was, yeah but it was mostly by then it was all over television but so yeah. you could only watch wrestling on midnight okay we didn't have cable so like and my dad was successful it wasn't like and I'm it not was, gonna paint we, it we just there was no cable in and our, it was territories right so there was yeah. all this wrestling going on that you never we would go to Florida to visit right. my grandparents right and everyone would go out to go to a pool and all I would do was turn the UHF channels I would sit there in my grandparents' kitchen alone, just turning channels to try to find UHF wrestling. Yeah. And I, all I wanted to see was just a glimpse of Dusty Rhodes because he barely came right. to the East Coast. Right. You couldn't see these guys. So and by its nature, wrestling, and, and, and it wasn't, a lot of my friends weren't into it. So all I had was this. There was no message board that I could write about. Of it. course. It didn't exist. No. So all I could do was like read the magazines, watch it closely and then find like try to turn like one or two of my friends onto this so, so they you would have someone to talk to about it but also the storytelling clearly appealed to me in a different way so my friends would be like yeah that's cool but I the intricacies of the storytelling really started to matter to me and and the you know one of the most famous matches during the 70s in the East Coast was Chief J. Strongbow and Billy White Wolf against the Executioners for the title they'd really built this story up for a very long time mm-hmm. and no one knew who the executioners was. There was a rumor killer Kowalski was one of them. White Wolf and Strongbow. You know, in today's days, Strongbow would have been given the championship. But in those days, race, wrestling was so ra- racist, they would never give an Indian. Like, was Wahoo McDaniel the NWA champ ever? That I don't know. I don't think he I know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they wouldn't give the belt to no, right, right, right. an American Indian character. Because no, that that's what he was doing. He wasn't the champion. He was the Native was, American character. And then and then he was the... But they would give the tag team. They would sure. they would give minorities the tag team belt. Sure. That And a lot of the time, minorities had the tag team belt. Right. But they were like my other... Chief J. Strongbow and, and Billy White Wolf. I loved them. They, they fought the executioners. And... Uh, they were winning. They won the match. And this is the first time this ever happened. A third executioner showed up. Mm-hmm. And then, do you know this thing? Uh-huh. Came from under the ring. Yeah. And it was Killer Kowalski. And then the ref didn't know and it was the third executioner. But I was so into the storytelling. I remember I thought about that match and how they how they thought to do it uh-huh. for such a long time yeah. afterwards. Because I was like... Which is so funny because like when I'm a little kid and I remember it blew my mind. And it made me think that WrestleMania 9 was one of the great WrestleManias of all time. Exact same thing. It was Doink versus Crush. And out of nowhere, you never would have thought another Doink comes out from under the ring. And it was just like, that was the, it was mind-blowing storytelling to me. Did you later learn that that was the Executioners first? (laughs) Did you know that the Executioners did that first? No, not until much later. Much Much later, later, I realized that 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 had gone on, yeah. Yes. But at that moment, I was like, that's never, nothing like that has ever been done before. No, that's the thing. Yeah, it's a mind-blowing thing when when they first unspool that in front of you. Yeah. but yeah, at the top of it, and also because Bruno was the champ for so long, that's the other thing. He was the constant. And they were very good at making the bad guys part of the one thing about the kayfabe era that was clearly better, that you cannot recapture, is that the bad guys were really bad. I love that. So that is different, right? Yes. The, because now we know, other than yes, Jericho might play it off, but honestly, there's too much information out there. We know Chris Jericho... We know that Chris Jericho does charity. Right. I mean, we know a whole bunch of stuff about Chris Jericho. Right. That you didn't know about Superstar Billy Graham. Right. You just, Superstar Billy Graham, 
and the Grand Wizard, mm -hmm. these were just these assholes who were selfish and egomaniacal and hated you and hated them and thought they were super cool. So there was no way to pierce that. And so you thought, well, even if I know that um, something about they're not really, you know, I, I can see they're stomping when they hit. These guys yeah. are bad dudes. Yes. And so that also made it harder to be like, I'm rooting for them. Whereas now you're rooting for a character. Do you think, looking back on the legacy, do you think that it helped or hurt Bruno San Martino that he distanced himself so much and declared himself such an enemy to everything that came after him? You know, it wasn't until, and thank God Triple H was able to kind of make the thing happen where we could have yeah. that sort of bow on this thing. But the fact that the Hogan era, he was vehemently and vocally against. The Attitude era, he was vehemently and vocally against. And on one level, you go, well, he's staying true to himself. But on another level, you go, is this a story of a guy who didn't evolve with the business and then got it bitter? Well, he was old by then, too. I mean, he of was. Course. Yes, you can go along, but he was 60 years old. He wasn't wrestling anymore, for sure. But he was, there's still, there's always, if Bruno on some level can... Oh, sure. Listen, Go with this. Cared There's a, about, yeah. Well, as Shoemaker pointed out in the thing that he and I wrote for Which was great. It's on, it's on The Ringer. There's a, it's uh, David Shoemaker, who is a standout in that Andre documentary. I mean, he's so... There's, there's wrestling super fans like me, and then there's wrestling historians. And Shoemaker is a, a historian. historian. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you guys did... There's a great... And you go to The Ringer, and you can find it. There, it's the, your email correspondence about yeah. Bruno, and it's, we went back it's and terrific. Forth on Bruno, yeah. and... and um, so yeah, Shoemaker points out that the the Triple H brought them back together again, yes. which which he did. The legacy question. I think it depends on whether you think that exactly mattered. I guess if if Vince would have put his arms around Bruno, and Bruno would have allowed it, mm -hmm. and he was always talked about as the greatest champ, like as he was right before, which was as the greatest champion of all time. Mm -hmm. Sure, his he'd be more well-known. Mm -hmm. But I do think that his death was recognized. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're at a point now where it's certainly full circle. I mean, yeah, and you, we've seen it with The Ultimate Warrior. We've seen it with a lot. Of, we've seen it with Randy Savage. Like, you can go away for a long time and have bad blood, but as long as at the end you're accepted, that WWE part of your legacy is going to be uh, uh, put in the right perspective. Yeah, because even... I mean, I think I think you could absolutely say it's a positive thing because this whole conversation has been about the fact that Bruno stayed true to he himself. Did. He was who he was, and you know the, the the idea that he wouldn't like where wrestling was going. You know, I tried to make a documentary about Bruno, and um, I got I spoke to him on the phone once, and did you freak out a little bit? I kept it together, but he had Inside. yeah he knew yeah I he sent me I I have on my wall at home a, a signed Bruno picture, and um. I put it in the background of a movie we made and then Dave and I named a character in Billions Bruno who's like the one kind of clearly noble character he owns the pizzeria and his name is Bruno and he's for, named after, of course he's named after of Bruno of course San he is that's him obviously yeah. think about who he is in the show that's Bruno San Martino yeah yeah and so um, yeah and he gets to that that's so great so, that's I, so great that character now like fully has has come full circle for me yes yeah. obviously he's named after Bruno San Martino and in fact we tried to get a picture of Bruno to put in there but it was Bruno was sick in the hospital and we couldn't organize it we were going to put his picture in the pizzeria so but 
Um, I wanted to make this documentary, but I thought to do it, you would have to talk about kayfabe. Yeah. You would have to talk about his decision mm-hmm. not to break it. You would have to talk about the rift. And and in the end, Bruno wouldn't do that documentary. Be, he made a different documentary by himself. There's, there, it's out there. It exists. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the legacy as he wanted it to be is intact and will only grow right. as this happens. Right. So the legacy we might have liked for mm-hmm. him, meaning where he was just more famous, basically, and where everyone acknowledged Throughout. Like, now he is, but throughout. Yeah. But he is exactly who he wanted to be, I think, in a, in a way. He lived it <laughs> and exactly you know, the way he wanted to live And it. you know what? On some level, <laughs> because he decided to turn against what uh, Vince Jr. was doing, he was blackballed from the WWE, and they realized they couldn't have a Hall of Fame without him. So without without doing anything, without uh, without, without compromising compromise. at all, he got through the black ball, got back to Stanford, and was on the stage at Madison Square Garden and to we accept both, an induction. We, we were both there. We were both there. I went. I hadn't been to a wrestling show. So I, I took my son once to see Scott Steiner when my son was like six or five or something. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. But I by that time, I'd basically checked. That era of wrestling wasn't that interesting to me. I mean, it was fun to watch. The beginning, Brock and Big Show, that was fun to watch mm-hmm. when Brock was first wrestling. I liked that Kurt Angle. That, right, in the early 2000s. In, for yeah, me, yeah. in the early, my son was born in 90, the end of 95, mm-hmm. so like he was five, so yeah, like 2000, yeah. whatever that was. That's when, like, yeah, every talent in the world was, it's like the right, that, that yeah, attitude so there was era a hangover. Right, at when the it, end yeah. of the, sort of right after the yes. attitude era, I guess. Yes. So we went once, but I hadn't been in over a decade, mm-hmm. and I went, I had to go to Bruno's Hall of Fame in, in, induction. And like I say in that Shoemaker piece, um, I didn't want to go as a filmmaker a screen like I I don't want any special treatment like mm-hmm. I know people I really love the people at WWE they're amazing but I didn't call anybody right I bought tickets in the rafters mm-hmm. I just put on Bruno Sermatino shirt and went with my son and I just wanted to be there in the building when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame and I'm so fucking glad that I got to see him standing up on that stage in the garden, that he got to be in the garden one more time. Mm-hmm. The garden got to shake and cheer for him. Mm-hmm. And even though some of the young people didn't really know who he was, but you could see the wrestlers knew. Oh my God, yeah. And you could see that sort of like the people I was sitting around were mostly my age and they were freaking out. Yeah. You know, I think there's nobody other than Flair who for a certain group of people means that much. Well, and I mean, he and Flair mean maybe Dusty. Maybe he Flair and Dusty. Sure. Ben that's sort of the When did Dusty really start wrestling here though? But yeah, on the East Coast, nobody nobody I don't even think Flair but Flair put in the time here finally. In the in like yeah yeah yeah. I mean, he did, but still like I I still Yes, he's not Bruno. Bruno, Bruno yes. was the guy on the East Coast. Yes. And and he was such the guy that he did what Flair and Dusty did, which is take those local reputations and become a national star. And international. He's in Canada too. You know what I mean? Like oh, like yeah, like Japan those and, and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. Stuff. So yeah, I mean I, I think that especially the fact that they were at Madison Square Garden. And that may be the only time in the Hall of Fame because WrestleMania is coming back to New York or to, you know, New Jersey next year, but they're doing Hall of Fame at the Barclays. So the fact that the one Hall of Fame ceremony that was at Madison Square Garden was Bruno's headlining year, yeah, you know, it doesn't get much better than that. No, it really doesn't. 
Well, uh, Brian Koppelman, uh, your podcast is called The Moment. It's not a wrestling podcast, but uh, it's really... No, a- it's great. You can listen. I talk to everyone from like... Seth Meyers to Baron Davis. Right. And it's a genius. It's just, it's, it's a genius idea. And who knows? At some point, I could see a wrestler coming on that show and talking about I would love, a moment. I would love to do it. Foley and I have almost put it together at yeah. various times. Um, yes, that's a great. I, there are people I would love to talk to for sure. Cool. And man. Dusty, and, but the fact that Dusty and Bruno are gone. I know. It's really strange. Yeah. It's um yeah. Go go watch uh go watch some promos that Bruno did and go watch some promos. And I mean it's great Dusty timing. Did. All the uh all the WWF All-Star stuff just showed up on the network. So you can see all that. You stuff can watch now. I think there's like 2 years of it or something, but though that was finally added to the like territory section of the WWE network. So uh yeah, I mean check all that out and on my action figure shelf over there. Thanks to that Hall of Fame deal they did put out a Bruno I have it. You do. It was bought for me as a gift. It's in my office. Good, good. Excellent. So huge thanks to Brian Koppelman for doing that. I want to remind you guys that summer is coming. It's getting warm. Maybe you didn't have time to get that Not Sam hoodie off of NotSam.com, the store section over there. If you're in a cold area of the world, you can still get those hoodies. However, some people say there's no international shipping. There isn't. You know where there is international shipping? At ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. That's right. It's getting warmer. You want a t-shirt. You want a Not Sam t-shirt. You want a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt. You want a t-shirt of me looking like a video game, an action figure. Whatever you want, you can represent the show. You can represent the Not Sam brand. You can represent yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, with a t-shirt Available at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. It's a huge help. There's a huge variety. Beautiful, full-color, quality printed shirts. Unbelievable. I mean, I would go to the store in Chicago and ask for them personally. Say, hey, what about those Sam Roberts shirts? No problem. Let me get them out for you for the back. What do you want? A Not Sam Mode t-shirt? What do you want? The Sam Roberts 8-bit shirt? Ah, why don't you just give me the classic Not Sam? You know what? Strike that. Give me a classic Not Sam shirt and a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast shirt. Whatever you want, you're going to get hooked up at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Let's get back into it. Here is Sam Roberts. Brian Koppelman is as real as it gets. He's not new to it, ladies and gentlemen. He's true to it. So thanks to Brian Koppelman, uh, co-creator of the show Billions. And just it's on fire. And now that you've heard that interview, like I watched it on Sunday. I did that interview with Brian on Saturday here in the Not Sam studio. On Sunday, I turned on, and all I could think about was the fact that I had no idea that the pizza guy named Bruno was actually named after Bruno San Martino. I love Easter eggs like that, and if you watch Billions, uh, now that you know what a fan Koppelman is, you'll find all kinds of wrestling Easter eggs on that show. Uh, Speaking of Easter eggs, I don't have a good segue, but... It's time for the State of Wrestling. Now, some of you were asking, uh, who normally watch on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash NotSam, where is the State of Wrestling? Why no State of Wrestling? Well, there was no State of Wrestling this week because I didn't do it in the NotSam studio. Instead, uh, I joined my buddy Dave LaGreca, who hosts Busted Open, over on SiriusXM. He said, Sam, when are you going to have me on your podcast? When are you going to let me break down some of the action? I said, Dave, I bet you got some thoughts on this Greatest Royal Rumble. I'll bet you got some thoughts on the goings-on this week at Raw and SmackDown. And so I decided to uh, stay at Sirius, grab Dave, and invite him to participate this week in the State of Wrestling. Now, we talked about last week 
excuse me, on the podcast. What are we going to do to celebrate this greatest Royal Rumble? It's a fun thing that it's airing at noon. I'm going to be able, I think, to watch a lot of it live. And I said, what do we want to do? So I, I read a bunch of your tweets, a bunch of requests and everything. I think, I think that my plan right now is to watch the show live, not do a watch along, because if I do like a simulcast of the show, I'm not really going to be able to hear the sound on the show and I'll miss things. I'd rather watch the show from the comfort of my own home. And then once the show ends, jump into the vivacious Not Sam Studios and break down everything we just saw. So my plan is still to do some kind of a bonus show on Friday. I'm sure I'll run that live on Facebook and then release the audio here on the podcast feed. But I think that that's the way to do it, is to do an after show immediately following the Greatest Royal Rumble. Who knows how long that show's going to be. It starts at noon. We could easily be looking at a 10-hour show. I might just join you at 10 p.m. Whatever time it ends, though, I'll be up for it. And uh, I'm really excited about the show. So I'm excited to to do that for you. Uh, but before we get there, we have to enter the state of wrestling this week uh, with my pal Dave LaGreca. So here we go. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. And we welcome you into the state of wrestling. So we have a unique state of wrestling this week. It's not unique in the sense that it's never been done before. It's just unique in the sense that I don't do it as often uh, as I do it the other way. No Facebook Live this time. No, well, yeah, no top five stories format because uh, we have more of a conversational format. For those of you that either listen to on this podcast or watched on the YouTube channel or were there at the Highline Ballroom uh, in August of last year for the uh, pre-SummerSlam show that featured Mark Henry and Skylar Aston and Dan Soder. You'd know this man. He helped uh, introduce the show. If you have a SiriusXM subscription, I would hope that you'd know this man. Uh, by now, if you're a fan of this podcast and you have a SiriusXM subscription, I'm sure you listen to Sam Roberts and Jim Norton, but I would also sus- expect that you would listen to Busted Open on SiriusXM. Uh, Rush is the channel. What channel number is 93. it? 93. 93. Everybody knows that. Sirius XM 93, Rush, all morning. That's the best part. It's on, like, don't you do, like, the live show, but there's a replay before and after? Yeah, the show's live 9 to noon Eastern time, and then we repeat it from 12 to 3, and then it's repeated again at 10 o'clock at night, so. And, but you don't have from 6 to 9, too? No, we don't. Sometimes. That's ridiculous. Sometimes we do. That's insane. Would you but, turn, turn your radio on to Rush, and as long as it's before... 3 p.m., you're probably going to catch Busted Open, where this man co-hosts, depending on the day, with Bubba Ray Dudley uh, or uh, Mark Henry or Jonathan Coachman. Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer. But the one guy, the glue that holds it all together, is uh, my guest on the State of Wrestling this week, Dave LaGreca. What's going on, pal? How are you, man? And it's pretty exciting. I've been really excited about doing this with you. And you've you've had me on like a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. Most of the time, like you kind of shoo me away on Radio Row, like I'm busy, Dave. Like, right. You know, move on. Well, yeah, because I'm more the high profile. And you, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And you know, and I've been trying to get some of your gusto because what Mark Henry, you mentioned Highline Ballroom, Mark Henry's there, and then Mark Henry becomes my co-host. Right. You know, you had Bully Ray, you know, Bubba Ray Dudley as your guest on your show, then he's my co-host. Well, that's the thing. When Dave LaGreca's around, you you keep an eye on that guy because whoever you introduce him to, hey, I got this thing going on over here. Um, well, welcome, dude. What have you guys been talking about a lot this week? Oh uh, well. 
you know, we the the great thing about this show being a daily show is that we can just react from everything that happened the night before. So obviously after a Raw, after a SmackDown, we're talking about those shows. But the big so, news is the greatest Royal Rumble. Right. That's what I figured we'd spend some time with because the it's gonna I to me and I was talking about this last week on the podcast, I think that my plan because I was flirting with the idea of doing a live watch along on mm-hmm. Facebook or something like that. But it's going to be a really long show, and I also would like to take in the show to give you my point of view on it. So I think what I will probably do is do some kind of bonus podcast after the Greatest Royal Rumble. Now, are you guys diving into the politics of this thing at all? Because it wasn't really—I'm just now starting to sense that there's rumblings online of people kind of putting two and two together about the politics of of Saudi Arabia and— the women not being there mm-hmm. and Paul Heyman not being there and, and really what's going on. I I can buy, and I know people are going to be shocked by Sam Roberts the shill buying into the excuse, but I can buy into this idea that the WWE is laying groundwork and, you know, helping to eventually change things over there. They are part, because really that's what, if you want to talk about the global politics of it, which is not really what we'll spend a lot of time doing, but... This is a part of bringing that country and and the culture into yep. the 21st century. So and I, and I think that that's a legitimate thing. Now, I'm sure there's a financial motivation to be Absolutely. there too. Of course. But I do think that that part of it is that helping the culture uh become modernized. And I think WWE wants to be a part of that. Yeah, I, and I completely agree with you and when it comes to this, and the great thing about Busted Open is we're, we're a two-way talk. We take phone calls. So I was kind of leaving it up to the Busted Open Nation. Hey, if they have a problem with it, call in. And right. quite honestly, so far we haven't gotten any calls about that at all. What do, pe- what do fans want to talk about? They want right. to talk about the Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. Because let's be honest, we just want to watch a cool show. Yeah. And this is, it's really, I, I've been enjoying the way this show has been promoted and the build behind it and everything because... I mean, some people are being a little bit cynical by saying it's it's a it's a you know a, a, a trumped up house show, but it is so. It is in the best possible way. Like, it's a very unique show in the sense that it's this massive show, and not every match has built. Like, it's one of those shows that you're like, oh, I didn't realize that it, that had happened overseas. Yeah. We normally wouldn't have access to this. Like the idea that Triple H versus John Cena. It's just kind of happening. Rusev versus Undertaker. It's just kind just of happening, happening yeah. right? It's like, to me, that's a cool thing. And sometimes, you know, you would turn on when WWE would run house shows in New York and they would run shows on the MSG network. They wouldn't have big matches on television. They would have jobber matches on television. So you'd turn it on and, the you know, the couple main events would probably have some storyline going into it. But then you'd have, like, the Bushwhackers versus Demolition or something. Yeah. And there'd be no storyline behind it. It's just a good team versus a bad team. But you never got a match like that on television. So it was exciting just yeah. to just to see that. And to me, that's kind of the feeling I'm getting around this. And it's something that I don't that's pretty unique to it. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's true. Like you could say this is a trumped up house show, which it is. It, it is a trumped up But only in show. the best possible way, because you're gonna have like you, you all the production value is gonna be there from any pay per view. It's and that's more. what I'm saying. This is gonna be like a WrestleMania. Right. And and the way that the WWE has pumped this up too, I mean, all all the things that they've been saying on Raw and SmackDown and I'm excited for this. Yeah, I'm pumped. And and there's a in a lot of ways. 
I may be more excited for what I'm going to see on Friday than I was for WrestleMania 34 with some of the matchups like you just explained. Just because there's no story here, so there's not a lot of anticipation as far as, you know, you're starting a fantasy book sure. or what can happen. So I don't know what's going to happen, and that's part of the fun. And it's, uh, yeah, expectations are low, which yeah. means you can you can over-deliver. And it's one of those things where you don't get so wrapped up in the result because Triple H versus John Cena, it's just like we can just have fun and watch a cool match. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter who wins or loses. Although I would imagine Triple H will win because this would follow along with the John Cena storyline that we've kind of been building mm-hmm. since what, October when yeah. he lost to Roman Reigns, which is at this moment, John Cena loses and it's gonna be something big and special when John Cena finally gets to win one. But I think probably over the next year or more, John Cena losing matches is going to be the storyline until there's the right opponent, whether it's getting somebody new over or a dream match or whatever it is. I don't know who the opponent would be yet. But I would think that what's going on with John Cena right now is lose, 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 lose until you can really have that moment of, I don't know if I still have it. Like, maybe I need to walk away I and, and make us really want to see the old John Cena and forget that we booed him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> right. It, well, you know, people forget why they booed John Cena because you have Roman Reigns now. Of so course. They, they have Roman now. But the other thing, too, is just what the crowd's going to be like. Yeah. You know, how many people are they well, going to have? What the reaction to, are so the crowd's going to have? So they sold out. Yeah. So, you know, are, are the fans there going to cheer for Roman Reigns? Are they going to boo Triple H? Are I they going to be sitting on their hands the whole yeah, time? Yeah. Y- you don't know. And that's kind of the excitement for Friday as well. And it's also fun. Like, it has the same appeal that the. Uh, United Kingdom tournament did, mm-hmm. which was you turn on the network on like a Saturday afternoon and there's just a live new show that happens to be an awesome one. And you're like, this is the greatest. Yeah. Like I didn't like the idea. I've been excited about coming home from work on Friday, turning on the network and there's a WrestleMania yeah. level show that like we'd never see. Like it's ridiculous what's going on. Like an Undertaker versus Rusev coffin match would never happen in this era except on a show like this you wouldn't put it on a pay-per-view because there's no build and this point in the undertaker's career you can't convince me that that match makes any sense whatsoever except in a scenario like this and you're never going to put a 50-man Royal Rumble on pay-per-view. 50-man. It's ridiculous. How are they going to fit in a ring? It's going to take an hour and a half. <laughs> Every two minutes until all 50 men have entered the ring. But it's one of those things where, like you said, because expectations are low, it's like, whatever. It's Friday afternoon. Let's sit back, let's pop some popcorn, and let's watch a fun show. And that's so cool because you're right. Like you, you, you get, you're, you're lucky enough to have a job where you can leave in the middle of the day and you're home in time to watch this. And it kind of reminds me of, you know, the oh, NCAA. By the way, the show's going to be so long that even if you work until 5 o'clock, oh, yeah, we're going to be, be halfway yeah, through. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> yeah. That's the one thing that WWE hasn't learned yet is maybe you want to shorten things a little bit. Bro, they've got their own network. Yeah, it's so like, they can let's go take as long advantage. as they want. Let's take advantage. But, you know, uh, it kind of reminds me of the NCAA tournament where you have games in the middle of the day. And it's right. Just, it's kind of cool. It's oh. kind of unique. Or day baseball games or something like that. That's what this is like. It It is going to be kind of cool at noon. In the middle of the afternoon, you're going to be watching live And wrestling. it doesn't take anything away from anything because like, if they were like, okay, we're going to do WrestleMania Mania at noon because we're doing it in Saudi Arabia, it would be like, no, WrestleMania is supposed to be on on Sunday night. But if this is just another thing, it's just the greatest yep. Royal Rumble, it's like, this is just bonus. This is just extra. It's so cool. Okay. So let's go. We already talked about Triple H versus Cena. I think yeah. like it's just going to be, and it's, you know, it's, there is something for a while. 
if you announced that it's Triple H versus Cena is one of the big matches, it was kind of an eye roll, and like we've seen this before. Yeah. But it's been so long since we've seen it, and both Triple H and John Cena are in such a different place. Oh, completely different place. That it's now. like, it's so great to be able, oh, now we get to see today's John Cena and Triple H. Like, let's watch. So I think that's going to be really yeah. cool. The other, only other match, aside from the Rumble match, that's not a title match is Undertaker versus Rusev. Now, do you have any insight? I have zero insight other than if I had... My gut is that the WWE just changed their minds a couple times, and that's it. But do you have any insight on the Jericho-Rusev casket match fiasco? The fiasco? That happened, you know, in the building weeks for this thing. It's so weird, because when you first heard Undertaker and Rusev, you're thinking, all right, squash. Like, mm-hmm. this is just going to be a squash. It's going to be similar to what we saw with Cena at WrestleMania 34. But then you hear Chris Jericho, and you're like, wait a second. Chris Jericho just had the match of his career yeah, with a Omega. couple of months ago in New Japan. So this this can't be a squash with Chris Jericho. This is going to be like a legit match. Yeah. And then it goes back to Rusev. I have and you're no, like, oh, are we back to a squash? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and that's what I think it's going to be. But it's been built up now so much. The fact that they've changed opponents a couple times means... As a fan, even if this isn't what it was, you almost feel like, oh, we were complaining about the fact that Rusev wasn't in enough of a spotlight. Now we're going to get the Rusev match. So you're almost in a corner where it goes like, we need to do something with Rusev here. Clearly he's not going to win. No. And I would, as much as you love Rusev, as much as I love Rusev, I don't, if you're a fan of this thing and and the long-term picture of what WWE is, it makes no sense to have Rusev win just because he's selling more sweatshirts at the yeah. moment. Right. It, it, it doesn't. But the Undertaker dynamic is a weird one, too, because there is WrestleMania 34. We didn't know if we're going to see the dead man or, you know, the American badass. How great would it go- be if he comes out as American badass at the Greatest Royal Rumble <laughs> for no reason? In Jetta. Like, uh, in Jetta. Yeah. And by the way, Kid Rock is there. Yeah. <laughs> and Kid Rock is like, let's go, Trump. And we're like, Shh. no, stop. <laughs> stop. Bob, stop! <laughs> but so, by the way, you saw Kid Rock at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, could he eat a sandwich or something? I mean, could you get any more skinnier than Kid Rock is right now? Look, you know, I I have nothing bad to say about Kid Rock at the Hall of Fame because I wanted a sandwich while I was sitting through half of those speeches. <laughs> so the fact that Kid Rock got on and got off, I did That's not a good have. Point. I had no issue. Good point by you. No issue. You know, I thought Dudley's, Mark Henry, Jeff Jarrett. Nothing bad to say about any of them. And that's where I'll leave it. <laughs> so, I, was, I, I went as a guest from Bully had me as one of his guests. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their speech was done. The Dudley speech was done. Yep. And then, like, a WWE representative came over mm-hmm. and took all of us into the back. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see like all the oh the guests go away oh like yeah it was it was weird and we we're in the back taking pictures and everything so I didn't see like Mark's speech until later on yeah on I TV s- I sat through the whole speech and I felt like I mean the whole show God bless you yeah I felt like I needed a trophy <laughs> or something some kind of acknowledgement okay so uh, sorry yeah. I know I got went off track there. There is no track, And you Dave. can blame a serious XM personality for that show going a little bit longer than it needed to be. Who's that? Oh, Billy Jim? Oh, I forgot he's a serious XM. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Um, <laughs> no disrespect to a WWE Hall of Famer. No. But when you start off your speech saying, I'm not going to go that's too long, issue. that's the problem. And right then there. you go, you, and then you Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think the Undertaker trip, uh, the Undertaker Rusev thing, would just be a fun one. Yeah, and it'll be good to see you know Rusev get his just due. I'm happier with Rusev in that position than I am with Jericho. Not because I mean I think Jericho and Undertaker at this point could put on a hell of a show. I don't think the Undertaker is going to do that much, so it's almost a waste to put yeah. Jericho in that position. And you want to see Rusev get a little shine. You know what I mean? He's earned it at this point. I, I think he does. I don't know if he will. Just a shine in the sense that he's got a singles match on this giant show. Okay. Just the fact that okay. he's got an entrance, he's got a match with The Undertaker, he's on the poster, he's not just in the Rumble. You know what I mean? That's I what I mean you. by a little bit of shine. Uh, but clearly The Undertaker. So we find out this week that it's uh, Cedric and Kalisto for the yes. Cruiserweight Championship. I uh, fine with it. Uh, I would imagine Cedric retains, but... I'm kind of shocked at how little is being done with Mustafa Ali. I, I mean, if it were up to me, I thought it was a no-brainer that he should win the Cruiserweight title at WrestleMania. And, yeah, I guess they can't just do rematch after rematch after rematch from WrestleMania on this show. But I just I kind of think Mustafa Ali, based on the fact that like his he as a performer was so... So many people got behind him in that mm-hmm. lead to WrestleMania, and yep. I know he did a lot of that himself on social media and stuff like that. But you couldn't really deny it. People were interested in him. I agree. Yeah. And I understand what you're saying. You can't have rematch after rematch, but Kalisto really doesn't do anything for me in this mm. position on this match, especially at this type of show. I would rather have seen that. Yeah. But Cedric, yeah. Uh, Cedric I'm, is fantastic. He's great. And he's and I'm, I'm with you. He's going to retain. Yeah, yeah. Bludgeon Brothers versus Usos. I really hope that the Bludgeon Brothers keep the titles because they had a pretty easy time yeah. scoring them at WrestleMania. It wouldn't make a ton of sense. Uh, you know, always good to see the Usos in this spot. I think this is a—and the timing of this show and Backlash, you'll see it in a bunch of these matches. It's all a little weird because of the shakeup. I think if this match happens a month from now, it's not the Usos in that spot. Yeah. It's a different—one of the newer SmackDown teams because I think a lot's going to change over there. But I think we are still kind of cleaning up. And Sam, let me ask you this, because I, I love the placement of the shakeup right after WrestleMania, but when you have this big of a show planned, mm-hmm. and then you have Backlash in May, so you don't have a lot of time in between what happened at WrestleMania and Backlash, should they have had the shakeup a little bit later, maybe the end of May, beginning of June instead? No, because I think I think you have to you have to figure out what you're doing. So we know with this show, we don't need this show doesn't require a ton of storyline, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the storyline is being devoted to two weeks and backlash yeah. anyway. So this this show, you can get by without a ton of storyline. You're always going to have a pay-per-view within 30 days, whenever you do it. And I think that if at backlash, things are still a little, like the dust is still clearing, that's better than that happening at Money in the Bank in June. I think in June, that's when Money in the Bank is. And by then, I think we need to have cemented what's going on 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 these brands and the way they look now because it will mean more. Whoever's holding that briefcase, we know who they are. We know what they do. We know who their opponent could be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's 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 why I think that pay-per-view it's more valuable to have cemented these brands than Backlash. But doesn't it feel kind of weird though going into like a Samoa Joe Reigns match at Backlash when they're on two different brands and it's so weird because you had Joe on Raw with those two great promos just left Roman Reigns in the dust and then he moves over to SmackDown and then you have this match it just feels a little weird. It is odd. And then you look at the house show advertisements and it's got Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe in like July. I don't know if they're going to change that. They might. But 
Yeah, I it, it feels like Samoa Joe was a last-minute decision to go to SmackDown because it really seemed like, okay, and in the months, like the, the WrestleMania 2 SummerSlam thing is going to be Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe, yeah. and then we'll figure out Roman Reigns SummerSlam coming off of the program with Joe. But now that Joe's on SmackDown, clearly that's not going to be the case. So, I, I mean, it just feels like maybe it was a little last minute. Yeah, because win or lose on Friday, Reigns is going to need that next guy after Brock. Of course. And, and who's that guy going to be? You set it up perfectly for Joe, but now right. he's on a different brand. Right. I mean, there's always there's always Braun, but it was almost like Braun was in this nice spot that I like for Braun of being one of the top guys yeah. without needing to be in the championship picture. Because once you're in the championship picture, you're either the champion or you're losing. And then what's after yeah. that? I think that, that Braun is in this great spot of where everybody knows that he's a potential champion, but he doesn't have to get his hands dirty with it yet. And and I think that that's valuable for building somebody. So I don't... I don't, And, and we've seen Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman a lot in the last year. So, you know, I, I don't... I don't know which direction you go with Roman, but I don't know. I, to me, that's kind of what makes this Brock Lesnar-Roman range, and we can go right to that, cage match so interesting, is that we didn't think we'd be here. I don't think anybody can call it. Some people are saying, well, obviously, Brock's, they're just holding Brock over, and he's going to lose the title in Saudi Arabia. But that's not obvious. No. It's, a, it's potential. It's possible. I, I would say it's it's probable, but I don't know definitively. Even, even probable. I don't think you can give it higher than 70% probable. Probably. I would give it about 70%. Right around there. Yeah. You know? And that's and that's your opinion, too. If I said it's 50-50, we could have a conversation yes. about it, but you're not looking at me like you're an idiot. No, you're crazy. no, no. Not at right. all. So, you know, and, and that's, again, it's because when Brock won at WrestleMania— Everything changed, right? The whole landscape of what we think is going to happen changed. Because everything was built to have Roman win at WrestleMania 34. Everything. And to to the fact, Sam, on this show, and I was getting a lot of heat, and I'm sure you do, when you're behind Roman, you're going to get killed by a lot of fans because most of the fans just don't like Roman, especially Mm -hmm. the fans that we talk to. Right, the hardcores. Yeah. um, I thought it was a great story leading to WrestleMania 34. I think it was reality, so it made it even better. And the fact that it's true, Roman's there every week. He lives and dies for this business. Brock doesn't really care about the fans or pro wrestling. Little rough when he starts saying like Brock is Vince's guy, and everybody's going, mm, "So yeah, are you, Roman?" That's true. But but I get the spirit behind it. Yeah, and I was actually behind Roman. I wanted to see Roman win at thirty four, and I think it was perfectly placed for him to win. I love the fact that Brock busted him open, mm-hmm. that he was bleeding all over the place, and I. I was waiting for, and Bully and I talk about this all the time on the show, I was now waiting for, like, a la Jimmy Snuka with Rowdy Roddy Piper, where that blood was going to get him so pissed off that he just totally goes crazy. And that didn't happen. The match was over 30 seconds later. Right. It was crazy. But that's what makes Brock Brock, right? That's what makes Brock such a unique character. It was the same, similar, not the same. It was a similar feeling that you got when Brock beat The Undertaker in the same building. Like, what? And then you kind of have to process it and realize that we don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, I don't think that you can... Because I, I, I respect people that said Brock beating The Undertaker is a mistake when it happened. But now, I mean, I don't... Brock has delivered on that. Yes. You know, in the four years since that happened, yes. we've gotten our return on that. People have gotten over. 
and Brock has delivered, right? Like, it it really... Because uh, before he beat the streak, Brock was a guy who... 50-50, he'd win, he'd lose, whatever. He, he lost to WrestleMania, but it's a Triple H, Extreme he Rules to John, John Cena. Cena. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so I think that that... But again, we don't know until much later. So I think that the, that's what makes this cage match and... Everything was neatly packed for Roman Reigns to walk out of WrestleMania with the championship. There is nothing neatly packed no. for Brock or Roman coming off of this. Roman, here's the one thing: Roman cannot win on. You know, Roman can't win. He just can't. He can't do it. He should have won at 34. I think everybody was expecting him. I wanted him to win, but he didn't. Right. So he gets busted open. He pretty much just really got for the most part, annihilated at WrestleMania 34. So, you know, he's on the losing end at 34, kind of embarrassed in the ring. Then Samoa Joe, I thought, embarrassed him two weeks in a row on Monday Night Raw on the microphone. Yeah, absolutely. And then I thought a missed opportunity with Brock Lesnar this past Monday Night Raw. Now you're overseas, you're going to have him in the ring with Brock Lesnar, and then he's going to win? It reeks of desperation. Of trying to avoid getting Roman booed yes. at WrestleMania. Yes. Like, we see through that. Yeah. Um, but you still think he'll probably win. I, if I was a betting man, I would bet that Roman's going to win. But it's to me, that's the wrong thing to do. you got to keep the title on Brock. Well, I think it's clear that the, that Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy are going to win against the bar. Probably, yes. Right, that would, be yes. A, that would be a safe bet. And I'm happy with that. I like that team. I, I, I like the team, too. Bray, Bray Wyatt's back to being where Bray Wyatt should be. I think and, he's gotten lost. You know, he was he was pretty much, you know, almost enhancement talent at, yes. that, at that point. You're looking at him in a different way right now. And I think that uh, I think it's a good thing for Matt Hardy, too. I think Matt Hardy kind of needed this to yes. really figure out what Woken Matt was. And it's becoming a thing. It was getting a little cooled down, and I think now it's back being 100%. jacked up again. Uh, I hope that Jeff Hardy beats Jinder. I could see a scenario where they have Jinder win the U.S. title just to really throw everybody for a loop. Now, what do you think of this? There is this possibility that they put the U.S. title on Jinder mm-hmm. and they put the Intercontinental title on Samoa Joe. Yes. That could easily happen. At the same time, this is WWE in 2018, they could put both those titles on Raw just to have everybody going, well, I got to tune in. What's going to happen next? Yeah. You know, that's something WWE is doing right now. So I, I, as I look, like in my heart, I'm like, give Jeff Hardy a run as U.S. champion. But I could easily see Jinder walking out of there with the U.S. championship. See, I looked at it kind of differently. I was like, you know, Jeff Hardy's going to retain. He's still going to be your U.S. champion and the U.S. championship being on SmackDown. And then Samoa Joe wins the Intercontinental title. Now all of a sudden both those titles are on, are on SmackDown, SmackDown. But then Joe faces Reigns. And Reigns at gets, backlash, and then Reigns takes the Intercontinental title and brings it back to Raw. It's very possible. And then Seth Rollins goes, hey, Roman, that's my title. Yep. And now you've got Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns, which is something I'm excited about. It's possible. And don't forget, if Brock is still your Universal Champion, that means you're not getting Brock and you're not getting Universal Championship on TV. So that Intercontinental title means a lot on Monday right. Night Raw. And, you know, we could probably guess that we probably won't get a universal title match at Money in the Bank. If we're getting one in Saudi Arabia, we got one at WrestleMania. Probably not at Money in the Bank. Maybe not again till SummerSlam. Yeah, you're probably not seeing Brock till SummerSlam. I would guess not. Yeah. Um. What about the AJ and Shinsuke for the first time with Shinsuke as a heel? Now, yeah. have you have have we loved Shinsuke in the last couple of weeks? Absolutely. 
Isn't it incredible? I love it. Isn't this like, oh, I was waiting. I knew knew it. I knew it was there, and it's here. This is perfect. And good job by the WWE changing Nakamura's entrance theme. Because that entrance theme, the fans are singing along and everything else. No, you want to change that because now he's a heel. We don't have that anymore. When I first heard it, when he started to come out to it, I was like, wait, this is cooler than the original one. Like, this isn't the right thing to do. Then when the vocals kick in and it's not something you can sing along to because it's in a different language... It's like perfect. I love it. Good I love job it. By WWE. I would imagine AJ retains. Yes. I would hope AJ retains. Yes. And I'm all my, part of me is like I wish we had to wait a full pay-per-view cycle before we saw the AJ Shinsuke rematch just because now the match means more because Shinsuke is a bad guy. But I get, you know, you're putting together this big show. It would be it would it would feel like a house show if it was anyone besides Nakamura. And will this match be better than the match we saw at 34? Um, no. No, I don't think so because this isn't the match, right? Like, WrestleMania 34 was about the story that was told after the match. So I think that WrestleMania 34 match was valuable for what happened after the match. I don't think it quite met people's expectations. I think that the fatigue that the audience was feeling is certainly something to take into effect. But, you know, it wasn't... It didn't have as many wow moments as people thought, but that's because if it had those wow moments, what happened with Nakamura after the match would not have been as impactful. That was your wow moment. Right. You almost needed to kind of be like, I wanted more from you, and then have Nakamura turn on you, and we can really boo him. And that's that was effective yeah. to me. So I don't think, though, that this match will be... I think it will be on the level of the WrestleMania match because I think that this is just going to lead to another match or two between AJ and Shinsuke. And, and it should. Like, Absolutely. You know, this shouldn't be the end of the story. Yeah, why wrap this up? Let's keep it going. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the match ends in a DQ because Shinsuke, you Another know... Another low blow or... Yeah, it hits him in the nuts. Yeah. Pun- uh, I believe uh, 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 fist to dick is what it's... Uh, <laughs> I believe that's what the new t-shirt says. I like that. Um, all right, so we've talked about pretty much all the matches except for the 50-man. Do you have... A pick. The only real official names announced. I mean, we can probably go through and figure out all fifty, but the only official names announced are. I don't even think they've officially said Jericho's in the match, but Jericho's in the match. Jericho's in the match. Mark Henry. Mark in Henry. The match. Yeah, you got you got your hometown boy in the match. Uh, then you've got uh, Rey Mysterio, Shane McMahon, Kevin Owens. Uh, there's like six or seven guys announced. But what but- does it mean? Like, winning this match well, doesn't mean anything. You get that dope trophy. Yeah, that's it. Right. And then you fight the Andre, you fight Matt Hardy for who's got the better trophy. <laughs> if I had to pick, I, I think, especially because he doesn't have a singles match on this show, I think that the 50-man Royal Rumble is all brunch Roman. I think that, yeah, you know, there's I, no I, title on the line. It's safe. Who do we want to make shine but not want to put a title on? I think that, and, you know, make look like a million bucks. I think that, you know, this match was, to me, built for Braun Strowman. Yeah, and you don't want him getting dumped over the no. top rope. Yeah, no. yeah I, I think you're right. I think Braun Strowman comes out the victor. So, moving on from uh, from the Greatest Royal Rumble, what did you think of, they gave the women a spotlight on Raw, and I think part of that was because they're not going to be at yes. the uh, pay-per-view, at the, you know, at the special, at the Greatest Royal Rumble. What do you think of, Ronda Rousey and her being sort of brought into what's going on in the women's division. Prior to WrestleMania, there was the women's division, and then there was Ronda Rousey. In the last two weeks, we've we've finally yeah. with, with Natalia, and you know, two weeks ago with Absolution, but now with with all of the bad guy women, 
uh, Ronda Rousey gets brought into the fold. And I think that, that this week on Raw was the first time that it really felt like, okay, Ronda is existing in the universe with all these other women. Yeah, it was cool. And, you know, this is the time of the NFL draft. This is, you know, a big time for the NFL. And, they, you know, they, all the teams have the, their draft choices and everything. And if wrestling had a draft, my first pick would be Ronda Rousey. Like, wow. Yeah. And she's the complete package. I, I Listen, when you have somebody like a, a Jim Ross saying that's the greatest debut he's ever seen was what she was able to do at WrestleMania. She's the real deal. Right. I mean, you know. The, By the way, that, that's got to hurt The Rock's feelings, but go on. <laughs> I agree. How many times did you call me Blue Chipper? That's the best one. You kept calling me Blue Chipper. That's true. Why'd you keep saying that but if I, you didn't think I was the best? But I agree. I mean, think about it, because you have Dude, to factor was, everything in. It was incredible for several reasons. Number one, it was just really great. Number two, it was a fun match that told a story. It's at WrestleMania, Number for three, God's it's sake. at WrestleMania. And number four, the level to which it exceeded expectations has is so seldom done it is on a short list of matches that over delivered more than any others i mean you talk about matches that beat expectations that matches in your maybe top five i agree right 100 percent. and it was all ronda by the way that that had that it was i mean we all knew we were going to get gold out of hunter we all know we should know by now i guess some people don't give her credit but when it comes time we need you to deliver Stephanie McMahon is on another level of performance. And they sold her so well going into that match with the packages yes. that they had on yes. Raw. It was fantastic. Stephanie gets nowhere near the credit she deserves for being the performer that she is. Mm-hmm. Wrestler? No, performer. Yes. But, I mean, Ronda is the one that over-delivered. And what was all the talk going into that? It was like, right. is she too green? And she's not good on the mic? I mean, what are we going to say? Is this the right you know, right position to put her in? This isn't fair. And like you said, she over-delivered. So I had to go back and watch the end of Raw on Tuesday afternoon. But on Monday morning when I woke up, I had a couple of tweets saying, you know, they're just they're doing they're not doing the right thing with Ronda. She's not ring ready. And I was like, that's odd because I would I remember getting those tweets before WrestleMania. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And then I saw WrestleMania and I was like, we were all wrong. She's ring ready. But then I watched Raw to be like, I wonder what this was all about. And I said, I think she's completely ring ready. Yeah. Like there that that the the segment, the thing with Mickey, the I I think that it's because Ronda works in a style that we're not used to seeing, but that sort of leg takedown where she falls with you, it almost looks awkward in a sense, but it's that's because it looks real. Like that looks like Ronda is actually using her body weight. And the fact that it's she twists with you and gets you in that arm bar that looks more like a real arm bar, sorry, Brock, than any other yes. arm bar in wrestling. Like that looks like Ronda Rousey's arm bar looks like the most painful arm bar. That anyone's ever done. And think so, about that. When you, when you talk about credibility-wise, right. the only other name you're throwing out there is Brock. Exactly. And, and she's living up to that. And how much more are you into Ronda Rousey than Brock? Just in the fact that you know that she's a fan and right. she loves it. And even seeing some of those videos of her getting emotional before WrestleMania 34. How do you not fall in love with Ronda Rousey and cheer and want to and want to have her do well? And we're finally at this place, too, where I can accept... Because she can perform in the ring, which we saw at WrestleMania, and to me, we saw on Raw, I don't mind the idea of her coming out, smiling, I can't believe I'm here, all business in the squared circle. Yeah. Then it switches. Like, I'm totally fine with that. And it's real. I get it. 
I can buy into that. And you saw that with those segments with Stephanie and Triple H where she's smiling. You can tell that she's happy. And then just like that, mean she face. gives you that death stare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's, I, like, I, like I said, if I was drafting, if I had my own organization, my number one draft pick would be Ronda Rousey. So you liked the segment on Raw? I did. Yeah. I'm really looking forward, and I, said, I think I said this last week, but I'm really looking forward to watching this because, I mean, it's clear to me that Ronda's first one-on-one rival, real rivalry that we can sink our teeth into is going to be with Natty. Of course, yeah. Like, clearly, Natalia's going to turn on her. And I think it's a great look for I mean, Nat- Natalia's still Natalia. I mean, Natalia was a heel on SmackDown right. just because moving to Raw doesn't right. make her a face. Right. So that's who she is. So that's definitely going to happen. And, I mean, I think that it's such a great spotlight. You talk about shine. Such a great spot for Natalia to be in, and she deserves it. And I think that those matches are going to be a lot of fun. Natalia's Ronda versus Nat- she's amazing. She's amazing. So yeah, they're going to be fantastic for sure. Uh, and uh, before I let you go, what do you think of uh, the Daniel Bryan situation on SmackDown? Wow, that's a good question. I'll give you my thoughts. You don't have to agree with me at all. But so I thought WrestleMania was not the response that it should have been for Bryan, and I th- like about seventy. Like it, it was nowhere near thirty. Like no, are you, are you talking about the crowd reaction when Daniel Bryan came yeah, out? Yeah, and just the feelings. Yeah, it just it it didn't feel like it was all the way there. Right, if that makes any sense. Right, yeah. like I was expecting a reaction similar to the reaction he got when he won the championship, and and he didn't get and that. he didn't get that. And when we left WrestleMania, he wasn't the story we were talking about, which surprised me. Honestly, Ronda was. Ronda and Brock yep. was what we were talking about. So I go okay, and then his first SmackDown back. First, I was surprised to see him, like, that he's just a wrestler now. I said, there's no real story behind this. Like, I'm not feeling, I like, there's a feeling to, oh, my gosh, I was cleared. And then there's another feeling to, oh, my gosh, I'm a full-time performer again. And I haven't gotten that second feeling from him, right? That yeah. story, to me, has not been told. And I said, let me wait till the Superstar shakeup. Maybe this AJ Bryan thing was just some filler to figure out where Bryan lands. I honestly thought and still think that maybe he should have gotten switched over to Raw just to really freshen him up, take him out of that situation. But he wasn't. I, to me, I'm glad that they're waiting on the Miz stuff. I think the worst thing they can do is give us our Miz match now. I think that there's no doubt that it's going to happen. Clearly, the history is there. Um, And I think that Cass is a good person to put Brian in there with Look at this juxtaposition, solidify him, somehow try to make him an underdog, even though clearly yeah. he's the best guy ever, and uh, and kind of reintroduce him. Because let's keep in mind, he's been gone for three years. There's a lot of fans watching now that weren't watching then. True. So this is sort of like a slow way to get him back in, where he's going to have some time here with Cass, and then maybe there'll be somebody after Cass. And then maybe by the time we get to SummerSlam, even Royal Rumble, that's when the Miz conversation starts. Maybe by then the Miz is the champion. Maybe we get all the way to Royal Rumble. Maybe even we get all the way to me. I say push this thing as far as you can. Get some more opponents in because to me the Miz-Daniel Bryan story is, I mean, Hogan-Macho level if you tell it right in terms of the packages you can put together, in terms of the history that you can put mm-hmm. behind it. Miz it, goes should, right, it goes all the way to the beginning when Miz is calling him vanilla and everything 100%. else. It goes all the way to, to the his debut. The only reason Miz is on SmackDown should be to win the WWE Championship. Has to. Has to. Has to. And to me, I would like to see 
at WrestleMania 35, the first Miz-Daniel Bryan match since the return, you know, the first one be a WrestleMania championship match. Yes, and it needs to be, Sam, because, like, when you said Daniel Bryan, and I had to think about it, because there's so many layers to this. Yeah. Because you mentioned WrestleMania 30. Well, that's the pinnacle. That's how you remember Daniel Bryan. Yes. When you, when you don't remember him, you know, in the opening match at WrestleMania 31, you remember that main event at WrestleMania 30. I think we were all ready for that to be his career-defining moment. That's yes. the Hall of Fame. This is this one moment here is your career. Yeah. Right. So that you see him at 30 with those two titles in the air, and that's almost like you and I sitting next to each other nudging saying, you know, that's the, that's the guy now. He's the guy. Right. Our guy is the man. He's the face of the franchise. So when I see Daniel Bryan come back, that's where I want Daniel Bryan to go back to. I right. want him to be the guy. And and I think you're right. That means he has to have the title around his waist. So what stories can be told? Because I do, I do agree with you. It needs to be The Miz. What story needs to be told where we get Miz and Daniel Bryan for a championship at WrestleMania? Right. And that's what I want to see at WrestleMania 35, too, is Miz and Daniel Bryan for the championship. Now, you mentioned Raw, and I agree with you, too. I wanted to see him go to Raw because I wanted to see him against Brock. I wanted him right. to win the Universal title and really be the true face of the franchise. I don't know if that can happen I don't either. on SmackDown because SmackDown's always going to be the B show. I'm also not sure that he'll be the face of the franchise. And and I and, I just don't know that that's going to happen. And I think reality needs to set in on that as well. I don't think Daniel Bryan's ever going to be the face of the franchise, but I still think he can be a WWE champion and yeah. be a main eventer and be at least one of the top guys. Like in my head, I say, okay, let's go all the way with this cast thing. While AJ and Nakamura are settling up their stuff, let's have Brian and Cass. Let's go to SummerSlam. Let's have a heel Nakamura versus Daniel Bryan. Yeah. I mean, that's a story you can tell. That's a story. And that's a SummerSlam match. Now we're all the way through SummerSlam without touching this Miz thing. All we have to do is get from August to January. In that amount of time, give something for Brian. In that amount of time, have The Miz maybe win the title either at the Royal Rumble or before. And who knows? Maybe have Brian win the Royal Rumble. Maybe have somebody else win it, but Brian gets the title shot later. Whatever you want to do. But if we can get to January, if we can do SummerSlam to January without touching Brian versus The Miz, then I think that's what you're left with. And that's why I'm happy with the cast thing, because I think the cast thing is sets us up for a place where we are slow building. If we're going to get to a title, it's going to take some time. And if we're going to do it right, it should take time. That's I why I'm happy with it. And then WrestleMania 35 is right in our backyard in New Jersey and New York. Right. Imagine what that crowd is going to be like if it's the Miz and Daniel Bryan. And maybe we'll get our moment. And maybe we will. Well, Dave LaGreca, people can hear you over on Sirius XM 93 every single morning. It's busted open. It's on the Rush channel. You can also get it on demand on the Sirius XM app. Uh, and I appreciate you hanging out, man. No, thanks for having me, man. You've had Bully on. You've had Mark on. I appreciate you having me. Man. That's right. And Tommy's on. Tommy's been on. Okay, there you go. Haven't had Coach on yet. Oh. Does he know about wrestling? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <that's- laughs> well, no, he, you know what he knows about sports entertainment. <laughs> that's right. He, yes, he's a, yeah, he By knows By the way, a did you see Coach's that. bow tie at WrestleMania? Yeah. Guess who tied it? Uh, did you? Just saying. <laughs> Thank you all for uh, being here. We love the coach. And uh, we will see you next week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.
and subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.